This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Today's episode is brought to you by Deathwish Inc. For over 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life is War, Greek Death, Chastity, Converge, Frail Body, and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store right now using the link deathwishinc.com slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for all items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch at deathwishinc.com slash the first ever. If you ever wanted to hear me sing in a band with mosh parts, go check out my other band, Hesitation Wounds. The record is called Chicanery and it's available right now. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 99. 99. We're almost there. Crazy, right? Um, I figured I'd be playful, I'd be silly, and ask my buddy Chris Taylor from the band Page 99 to be my guest this week. I'm a huge fan of this man's artwork. I love his bands, some of which include, obviously, Page 99, but he sang in a band called Malady that put out one record that is fantastic. Sang in the band or sings in the band Pygmy Lush. Uh, He has a newer band with his brother Mike called Terminal Bliss. Uh, He's been in a band called Big Hush. He's been in a band called Mannequin. Uh, just very, very, very creative person. Um, hell of a stage presence, uh, hell of an output. And as far as his artwork goes, uh, I could point you to, if you're unfamiliar, if you've, uh, if you've seen it, uh, he did the pig destroyer cover for terrifier. He also did their comp painter of dead girls. Uh, he's done artwork for obviously page 99, but portrayal of guilt for planes mistaken for stars. He did the cover for mercy. Um, he's got a very unique, I, and uh, I'm such a fan. I am such a fan. So this is great. And also, I want to add that there's a bonus episode available right now where Chris answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. That's available over on the Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to hear that. You can subscribe for as little as three bucks a month, get a bunch of bonus episodes, bonus radio hours, join the Discord channel. And if you subscribe for a little more, you can submit questions to upcoming guests, find out who's coming on, all sorts of fun stuff. 
I also want to take a minute to uh, to let you know that there's a first ever podcast hat and shirt available right now. You can go to secretvoice.bigcartel.com to grab that. Also available is a new poetry book collection that I released. It's called December. I wrote a uh, poem every day of last December, and it is now uh, available. So if that interests you, it's available in the same spot. That is secretvoice.bigcartel.com. Um, next week is the 100th episode. Uh, a lot of people suggested that I be interviewed by somebody that I get somebody to come on and interview me asking all the questions that I usually ask guests. Um, I, I'm, we're going to do it. That's, that's the plan. That is the plan. I was a little weird, uh, like about, I didn't know if that was a little too self-serving. I, I don't know, but I was convinced enough people said it. So that's what we're going to do. That will be next week for the 100th episode. Uh, the guest interviewer will be announced shortly. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Chris Crude, Chris Taylor, whatever you want to call him. He's awesome. What's going on, Chris? Nice to see you. Really good to see you too, Jeremy. It's been a minute. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a minute. I feel like the last time I saw you was when we were in Richmond and we went and grabbed a bite, which at this point, I don't even know how long yeah, ago that was. Ages ago. It's like two years or it had to have been two years ago. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day about uh, that hotel you stayed in. Uh, and I was trying to remember what it was because it sounded cool. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name, though. Me either. It was it was uh, <laughs> it was one of those perfect situations where we had a day off and and every now and again I'll be like I'm just gonna spoil myself I'm, and I'm gonna do it. I'm yeah. gonna swipe. I'm gonna swipe a card and worry about this later and just have my yes. own space for a day. Yeah, you deserve it. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> especially as you get older, uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't recognize this until until taking a significant break from touring. But uh, yeah, you do need some time to yourself, from time to time, for sure. Well, a, a thousand percent. And now I can use the podcast as a, as an excuse to where I don't feel like I'm uh, being like a bougie person. Like I tell my band, I'm like, I got some podcast stuff uh, I got to do. Yeah, I need some, sorry, I need some guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you in, uh, you're in Richmond right now? I am. Yeah. Awesome. How's yeah. it there? It's good. I mean, Richmond is like, for me throughout my life has been such a, it's kind of an anchor it's not a city. It, you know, it's like, uh, it's a town. And I think people get that wrong about moving here and, and they think, you know, but it, it really is. I mean, you gotta be, I really like how they, you, you gotta be accountable here. Like, uh, cause if you screw someone over, uh, you're going to see them the next day, you know, like it's that small kind of, and, uh, I think that's, I think that's great. And it's always been a community like that, or at least I've seen it that way, or at least my corner of the community has always appeared that way where they're just going to be like, don't bring that shit here, man. I mean, you know, we'll remember, you know, and I really, I, I really appreciate that, but yeah, no, I, it's good. This is my, this is my, uh, second time down here. My first time down here was a six year stint and this is going on three years now, but I love it here. I it's one of my favorite cities. Like I, I often say that one day I think I'm going to end up moving there. It's like the place yeah. where it's a place where you have all of the things you want that are in a big city. You got the cool mm -hmm. theaters, you get tours that come through, you got the cool record stores, you got great mm -hmm. food, great coffee. But on top of all of that, houses are affordable there. Yeah, there it's cheap 
for now and uh it's pretty small so it's it's not very intimidating you you learn it quick and i mean if you moved here we welcome you with open arms jeremy you know <laughs> i'm serious man be, like uh anytime come on I, down man yeah it's it's one this of my favorite maybe you can retire here that's my dream that's my dream i'm telling you <laughs> that'd be awesome um so you're from sterling originally right yes awesome i forget how far away is sterling from richmond is it it's kind of close right it's two hours north. Okay. Um, so we would make regular trips down here close enough to, to kind of go see what's happening in Richmond when we were younger. Yeah, I actually was... probably went to Baltimore and Richmond more than we did DC, which is much closer to where we were. You know? Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask like when you were, when you were growing up, was there um, a, much of a scene in Sterling or did you have to travel to like kind of experience that stuff? Uh it's funny because we basically made the scene in Sterling. Like uh, there might've been some metal bands that some of our older brothers might've known about. And of course that happens. And we're sitting here thinking we're the first thing to ever happen to Sterling. But, uh, but no, I mean, we just, we um, got the bug. I think it was, Honestly, for me, I think it was Jesus Lizard, but it wasn't like it. So I was, it was like a slow burn into punk because we were just products of that 90s, what was on the radio. And yeah, it was also good. And it was all coming from, you know, independent, uh, you know, origins. And but and also, like many of us, like the, that 90s radio music with all of its like underground heroes, uh, championed all of their heroes and then you know opened the, the doors to punk rock to all of us and i think jesus lizard was like the first i'm like god this is scary and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily punk but i felt you know i felt threatened uh even just you know i knew the bass player wasn't gonna hit me but he looked like he was gonna hit <laughs> davidson uh but but yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, so the yeah, I mean, like the first question I usually ask uh, musicians, and this will be fun too, because I also want to talk about your art, so we can kind of back and forth here. Um, so, with you being young, like, what was that first time connecting with music to where it felt like it was yours? I know you, you, I forget, is Mike older or younger than you? Mike's a year, a week, and a day. So yeah, he's a little bit older. A little bit older. Okay. Were you two finding music? uh independently or were you two finding music together was did you have your own journey like what what was the first thing that you connected with um great question uh i think the first thing i connected with was like you know michael jackson or like madonna uh and sure. but i mean really because i mean <laughs> and then i got this uh i got this tony braxton uh single tape and I listened to that a lot, actually. But uh, so that was like the extent of my personal music. Uh, like, I actually just didn't, you know, I looked up to my brother. So and he he is the collector. You know, he's he's like you. He's got all the records. You know, he'd read the liner notes to find out who's who and just found so many obscure bands himself. But like not, you know. And just. <sighs> back in the day picking the brains of you know friends and family or you know friends and and people we met that 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 were into music like that he yeah. just found so much so i i just kind of followed him around and he had uh 
I'm not a band guy. This is really hard to describe. I'm yeah. not a band dude. Like I, I'm a song person. Like songs, I connect with with songs regardless of if the band has a whole shitload of them. You okay. know, like I, I, you know, like I don't like the Cure. I like love song. You know, I'm yeah. that kind of guy. Okay. But moreover than my brother, and and not entirely. This is an absolute. You know, I love a handful of like, um, you know, everything they do, bands and and artists but uh but yeah I, I more connect with things like in this like uh i'm very affected by uh like i get sad if sad music's on i get excited if and and i feel rage when i listen to born against so i have to be careful where i put it on you know like you know because it it does actually like turn the mood you know so i think i'm jealous of other people that can they're my brother's very deliberate about putting music on to fit a mood or whatever. I know I'm getting off topic here, but uh, that is, that's, it does connect on how I connected to this music because it's, it was sort of about the experience of, uh, of being that age, never hearing anything like born against. And I think that was really, I mean, shit, I love Nirvana and all that stuff, but like the, the band that got me was born against and same with my brother. And so, we just started playing and, and uh, we, we found Eric and Jeff Kane and Sterling and friends of ours that, that uh, we formed our first band with. And um, they're, they're notable musicians in their own right. And, uh, and, and then we just started hanging out with them. They were, they were literally, uh, they could play in our bands now back then when they were 14 years old and uh, yeah. they were geniuses, uh, the Canes and, and then the Taylors were these, yeah, we're just kind of, we're, just, we're more creative than, okay. <laughs> than technically efficient. And, but they taught us like Eric and Jeff taught us how to play. Mike was a little quicker than I was. Cause I, I have part of my uh, ring fingers missing. So I only am able to play uh, with my fret hand with three fingers so I almost like didn't pick up. I, I learned how to play a bunch of Nirvana songs when I was 14. And then uh, I was just the guy, you know, it's so funny. I don't, I don't have a record collection. I don't know how to play music. I'm the singer. Yep. <laughs> like that put me up at, you know, it was the last, the last man standing that put me in the, the role I'm at, you know, like I just wasn't talented enough to do what everybody else could do, you know? Uh, it's funny. Actually, Eric is in town tonight. I think he's could strike anywhere. With a mat- with oh, strike really? anywhere. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think I'm going to, awesome. I think I'm going to try to hit him up later and try to try to head out to that show. I haven't seen yeah. him in a, a really long time, but go say, uh, Hey man. Yeah. Love, he, love that guy. Yeah. He's so sweet. Uh, uh, what about with, uh, also I was going to, I was going to mention with your, um, love for singles over, full catalogs and things like that. You mentioned having a Tony Braxton single. So a single. So were, were you like, did you have like a hella single addiction when you were a kid? Uh, it was just like what was, cause there were Walkmans and that was yeah. like, you know, it was our way to like, listen to our music. Like uh, we don't have a car to pop a tape into. And we honestly didn't have tape decks that are, we had Walkmans. They were 20 bucks yeah. and easy to give to your birthday. But uh, the tape deck that my dad had when we were little, we destroyed. Uh, so, so that wasn't an option. And uh, yeah, so it just seemed like the perfect little thing. And 
singles were cheaper than the, an album and totally that's how that worked you know like, yeah 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 uh, so but i didn't have a massive collection it was probably like like 12 yeah <laughs> 12. Sure. the rocky soundtrack was in there uh, <laughs> yeah a bunch of stuff what about with art when was the first time you remember connecting with art where it felt like it was something exciting or like made you want to start drawing or 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 painting or do you remember what that was um probably uh i think in, there was a time before this but my artistic coming out was in seventh grade and uh and they you know like the principal at my elementary school asked me to do the cover of the literary magazine for the elementary school so obviously there was some talent there before i was drawing on the sides of my papers and stuff and I think in one of my art classes, I drew a really good version of my hand for how small I was or whatever, you know, like, and they're, uh, and so my mom and teachers and other people started their ears perked up like, Oh, we need to like, which is great. I had a mom that literally, you know, she saw that and was like, I need to figure out how to like nurture this out of him or whatever. And, uh, but nothing really happened till seventh grade. My, uh, art teacher in seventh grade saw it and was and really pulled it out of me and just I mean gave the whole class my portfolio from seventh grade is ridiculously good I mean I'm not even <laughs> like it's and I'm I'm very critical of myself when I when I when I go through that stuff it's it's photorealistic portraits of animals and people and and all kinds of mediums like uh like charcoal i'm like when did i learn how to do charcoal watercolor i was like i don't remember doing watercolor wow uh, but i'm sitting there in the class and, and I, I do remember this i remember the charcoal and being like this is crazy i i was impressed with what i was doing and I, it was the first time i had tried all of these mediums the very first time i had tried all these mediums i just had such great success that i, I was really happy with that i was happy to to recognize something in myself that wasn't all shit, you know, was what, what was the thing that made you like, were you a kid that was into comic books? Were you a kid that was oh, into, yeah. okay. I was going to say like lots of comics, lots of Garfield and, and far side, all the like Marvel stuff, like my favorite Wolverine and, and Spider-Man and uh, lots of comics and all the like funnies, you know, like all the Bill Watterson, uh, uh, the far side and Garfield, like the, the sardonic humor ones. And I made a cartoon later in my life, like a, a comic that, cause my mom had after the seventh grade portfolio, she had hired, everybody was so blown away by it. They were talking about sending me to Pratt and all this art school stuff. And don't let this go by the wayside. And I started to actually feel quite a bit of pressure because my mom hired a cartoonist to, to teach me how to, because I was doing comics already or like my own uh, version of like a Garfield, but it was like a violent mouse. Uh, and because uh, a mouse was my favorite, my mom's favorite animal. And I think I did like a happy birthday mom with a mouse version of Garfield. And then I turned that into this like gory comic, but <laughs> she saw those and hired this guy uh, to come in and sort of like teach me some basic like cartooning rules or whatever. And, that was a couple of months long and I went to a few summer camp things after that for oil painting and they really did try to get it out of me. And then immediately in high school, I, uh, 
I got kicked out of high school and went to uh, me and my brother both got kicked out of our high school and got sent to this place called Douglas uh, that that had a, a daycare, a preschool, had this troubled kid school and then like an after school program all in this one building amazing teachers in that school uh some of them were like that had done it as almost like a like a uh charitable or a uh, thing to to help out kids uh college professors like my english teacher you know i think a lot of like my inquisitive and uh create creative nature was was like uh teased out of me there in that class but funny enough no art class so i did a lot uh, there was no there's phys ed i did a lot of graffiti uh uh with my friends that's how we kind of express ourselves like going under bridges and uh you know going behind the food lion they thought we were a gang uh the cops put us put us in the paper thinking we were a gang uh but yeah uh that's the funny part and then you know when it's college time came i was so wrapped up in music it's just not uh, you know i didn't I didn't really need to yeah. go and there wasn't any money for it anyway. So do you, <clears throat> I wonder with you and your brother being so close in age, when you found out that you were able to like have this art side, was it, was it kind of nice for you to feel like you had your own identity? Well, uh, it just kind of, it's funny. Cause, um, after it's, it's a, I have a weird relationship with things if I'm good at something <laughs> and I have, I've been like this most of my life. And I think around then was like literally in that classroom is probably the only time I'm like, damn, but, and I don't want to throw my dad under the bus, but he was pretty critical. And, um, I think, uh, I think that does play a role in like how I see the things I make, but, but so my identity, uh, with art is really weird. Like I don't actually, like, I, I just tossed it. I threw it away. Basically. I was like, uh, this is too much pressure. Uh, it's a, it's a neat ability, but there's no career in this. Like it's a long shot for me to like make a career out of it. And it's funny because it's like, no part of me wanted to like figure out a way to make money anyway. Like I wasn't searching for a better career than art. I was just like, you know, if you're convincing me that this is the path I should go, interrupt my music uh, with my brother and my friends and this very meaningful thing happening in my life to go to college to learn how to draw a eagle that I know I can draw. Like, I know I can draw that. That's And there's another part of me that's like, it's almost scared to be bad again or to, to make any mistake uh, because of that early thing. Like, and like, I still, like I said, I still look at that seventh grade portfolio and the photorealism of it. It's very, very technical. So I, and to me, I'm like, uh, like, okay, you did it. Like, no one can take that away from you. Like, yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's you until you do it again. And it sucks then. Cause it really is like, I started getting really scared about, um, uh, about not being good at it anymore. And I was scared about like uh, trying to do any sort of realism. And, and I started, I think also I started when I got into high school, I realized that plenty of, a lot of these kids can draw just as good as I can. And I, so I, I really actually was like kind of butthurt about that. I was like, 
I, I'm not special anymore. Uh, you know, and, and, and I saw some very, uh, good photorealistic, uh, illustrators in high school. They're kids like me too. Uh, and so I mentally like had to, to say, I have something they don't have, you know, like, because that's what I had before with the art. There's this identity. Like you said, I have something they don't have. And when I found that everybody else has it, I'm like, well, what is, what can I add to this? And I just kind of left it on the table because I never came up with what I could add to it. And then I got distracted with music. It, they, that thing happened literally they're interwoven. So I was yeah. playing music while I was letting go of art, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight or whatever, but. Right, right, right. Interesting. Um, what was the first concert you went to? Uh, New Kids on the Block. No way. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's I awesome. Think, yeah. That's uh, definitely the first one. Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? <laughs> like 10. Yeah. 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 Did you go with, did you go with like the family or, or how, did, no, how did that play uh, out? I went with a, with a soccer coach. Okay. We used to go to we used to go to hockey games and and I think we went to uh I can't remember what else we went to, but that was like 10. And yeah, I think the second concert was was that uh I'm trying to think of Green Day, because like Jeff and Eric, their dad worked for Parks and Rec. And when Green Day played um George Mason, the 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 Madison Center, they he got us tickets to meet them backstage so Whoa. we watched the show and then we met him backstage and and that was one of the first ones because i was wearing a led zeppelin shirt and i didn't have a mohawk I, you know i just had like long blonde hair and really like nirvana but yeah. but that was that i think that was like you know uh as a teen or whatever and mike jeff eric and and, and me were all there so it was, it was our was that like shared one of our shared firsts? Was that like Dookie era, like when they were when they were first starting yeah. to get really big? Oh, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yep they they toured with Pansy Division and wow, it was rad. They Damn. were really fucking good, and also it was cool. Uh, yeah, the song had just gotten on, you know, uh, Eric and probably. Jeff had yeah uh, just gotten on MTV, so uh, we had barely uh, like we were like, I think it was probably like been out a month or something when and they all knew green day from the east bay scene like and there's you know they had their seven inches before they got huge you know the music guys of of my ilk but but yeah i think uh i think that was it and then you know there are a number of like almost dateless nameless uh like local uh firsts like local first shows that that my brother and i went to um but yeah and then what was the uh what was the first band that you did uh, with Mike, Jeff, and Eric, it, it was called Nitpick. It was uh, like grungy, um, simple. The Fisher Price, my first band type type stuff. Really endearing. Uh, mostly kind of pop punk, but then towards the end, we just kind of got uh, weird. Yeah, I <laughs> kind of hardcore was, and weird. I was looking up, uh, like just doing research, and I saw that band um, listed. And I looked at all the, you know, has a lot of members and I looked at a lot of the same members that you end up continuing to be in bands with. And, you know, a lot of people from page 99 and, yeah and all of that. And like, um, it said the years you were a band, but the only thing I could see as a release was being a part of a compilation. So did yeah, the you, Caligli effect. Yeah. Right. Right. And so was that the only like physical release that the band was on or did you have demos? Like what's the we, story there? 
we had demo tapes. There's, there's, uh, there was the first demo, which I think was about six to seven songs. And that one was the four piece of me, Jeff, um, Eric and Mike doing like our most basic like barely could play guitar first and then our second one um we had two demo tapes of that era our second one had more songs and uh still recorded uh crappily on the four track i believe it was it was uh jeff had either a four track or an eight track and no it was a four track because he had to bounce everything um, and then later, like Blake joined the band and we, we started just like getting all, it was almost like a, like a precursor to page 99. Cause we just started getting all of our friends and, you know, like they were just, all of our friends were like, Whoa, you can play music. Like, Oh, like, just like <laughs> you know, and, and there it's funny. Cause they, we all went to this like loser school or half of us did. And I don't know, it was just cool. Cause like, I mean, the, nitpick was really a uh a high school like anomaly like for some reason and maybe it's because it's the only band that anyone knew and, and that could play like when and i i know you mentioned you're gonna ask this but the at the first show we played almost the entire high school was at my parents house uh who i think allowed that first show we didn't do it when they were out of town we later did one when they were out of town but so they hosted it in a way Whoa. And it was like the whole fucking school, like all the, the, the street outside my house, just cars, cars forever. And there, the, cr- the crowd was behind, you know, out the spilling out the patio of the basement. And, and it was just like two bands. I think it was like, we got uh, Eric's other band to play the abducted, I think. And, uh, but it, everybody were, so there was like jocks, the, like, you know, like the, the people that make fun of you, like, and you know all your friends and it was nutty it was nutty today's episode is brought to you by anchorfish printing hey are you in a band do you run a label or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun you should hit up anchorfish printing they've been taking care of bands for over 15 years i first met the owner michael when my band touche amore started and he was our go-to guy you can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Did that kind of, I mean, it's funny you mentioned like the different types of people there. Um, I don't know necessarily, obviously, what your high school experience is like. I'm, I'm just assuming being like kind of the outcasty bad kid playing music with you know artsy friends and stuff like that. Um, after you played that show, did you have a feeling of like, um, being accepted by all these different people? Like, oh man, everyone came to our house for the show. Now I, you know, I feel cool. Uh, the funny thing happened to me about acceptance. Well, Mike was so weird in middle school. Like he would do things like at a stoplight, just get in other people's cars. This was in high school. Uh, and just, we wouldn't see him again. They'd give him a ride later. They'd, They'd just end up hanging out with him. He was a really funny guy. And a lot of people thought he was hilarious and just he had no respect for authority and a lot of people like that so and he was just kind of nutty he was kind of crazy so a lot of like all bands across all um all walks of life at that high school had a weird respect for my brother and uh just all walks of life like everybody kind of like don't fuck with him 
uh, that dude's cool. And, and, uh, I just got that. I just inherited that, uh, serendipity or, you know, I got yeah, that of course. from him basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but at that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of friends and it was funny because it, there wasn't this whole, I mean, there was a ton of clicks and, you know, it really was jocks and, and there was like, there, there's, it's a heavy, like rural areas. There's a lot of rednecks and, but, uh, but I never felt like terribly picked on because I, I, I was in that high school for about three months before I got kicked out and I'd been, uh, before I got expelled, but I had been suspended within that three months, like three times. What, I, were, what I, were you two doing to get it, get kicked out? Were you just like skipping class? Just getting in trouble? Uh, like what was, what, <laughs> what um, was the thing? Well, I was already in, in school and I just was running down the hall. So I was already in, in school detention. They got you on, uh, on lock and in school detention. I was just, I just, we were coming in from outside and I just started sprinting down the hall and just did a, you know, like baseball slide down the hall. And they're like, Chris, go to the office. And I just finished my job, you know, after the slide <laughs> got up and jogged right to the office. Uh, but no, it, it's funny. I, I was just very, um, I was a smart ass. Uh, I got searched a lot my freshman year. Uh, they thought I was high all the time and I looked really weird. I had this accident that happened that I burnt my, my, um, I was filling a butane lighter in a sink and, and lit it when I thought it was full, but it, it spilled all over the sink and basically a fireball went off in the sink and singed all of my like, uh, eyebrows and eyelashes. So I developed this habit, uh, and it's it's a thing. Some people do it as like a phobia or, or like a, a tick, but where I was just feeling, I was just really feeling the singed uh, ball on the end of my eyelash or eyebrow, and I just eventually pulled out all of my <laughs> fucking facial hair. But yeah. it took some time. Uh, so there was moments where I had no eyelashes or half an eyelash, and like so they just thought I was weird, and they the principal was real kind of you know, he's profiling my ass and, and yeah. I didn't never had anything on me. I was never high at that time. I didn't do drugs yet. And, uh, but I was real mean about like being pulled in there and I just did not respect authority either. I was like, you know, you wonder why I'm making shitty grades while well, I'm in this fucking off and I'm cussing him. So he's like, yeah. you're suspended and I'm going to call your mother. And right. I'm just like, call, call my fucking mom. I don't give a fuck. Go fuck yeah. yourself. <laughs> and my brother spray painted the halls. I mean, it, we were just crazy, you know, like, and I think this one jock that was picking on Mike, Mike like caved in his car with a backpack on the outside. He almost got the police called on him for that. But um, yeah, just just crazy shit. Like I really just it. sort of high energy and and anti-authoritarian type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny the whole like, you know, kind of being welcomed by everybody. I feel like the the secret trick, the Trojan heart, the, the Trojan horse of getting through a lot of school as a kind of a punk kid or something like that is if you're funny. Like if you yeah. can make everyone laugh, yeah, one'll be like, nah, he's fine. You yeah, know, what he's I'm all right. The class clown. I don't totally. know if it works these days anymore, but yeah, I mean, I'd be scared to go to school these days. Jesus For sure. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that was the first show you played. So, and then, well, you mentioned like four track recordings and stuff. What about, uh, what about going to a studio for the first time? Was that with page 99? Uh, I believe so. Like we tried to replicate what we thought a studio would be like. We all were pretty, there was a bunch of us that were pretty savvy with like eight track recording and 
and made some decent recordings. I mean, they're not great by any stretch, but for a bunch of kids learning it, like, like we, we, we learned it thoroughly. So it took us a while to actually believe we needed it, you know, cause punk. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, page nine nine had put out a demo and on the demo uh, or on that session, uh, we got two other songs and did a split with enemy soil with those. And then our and very a, next it was a singer of then, it was it was a singer of enemy soil who even recorded that first demo, right? Uh well, it was no, not Richard. It was uh it was TL our bass player. Oh, TL, sorry, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh he might have had some help uh some help from Rich. I you know, I'm not really sure. He might be credited on Rich might be credited on that. I'm not positive. But um cuz they did a lot of home recording themselves too. Um And then I even yeah, saw Page I9. Yeah, I even saw five. Uh, yeah, Mike, I think is even listed as, you know, recorded oh, by or something uh, like that on, yeah, on yeah. document five, I think. Yeah. So was that, was that also done with like an eight track or something? Uh, no, no. See document five was at, gosh, what is that guy's studio name? It wasn't oblivion. That was later. Uh, but the guy who recorded that, uh, session, his name was Mike. God, what is his studio? Drew. Yeah, Drew Mazurik, and I think that's his name. And he, uh, and he had a guy Mike that hit was his like studio hand. And yeah, they had a legit studio with a little glass window in it, and (laughs) you know the microphones with the pop filter. And I thought that was ridiculous. Here's here's kind of a fun question that I think any nerd who likes your bands would want to know: When you named the demo document number one, did you know that you were in it for the long haul to just continue to call everything document? Like, were you like, what was that a a plan from the get go, or did you just sort of fall into like, oh, I guess this is what we have to do now? Yes, like we knew from the get go they were all going to be documents, and I think it was namely Mike uh, making that call. He made a lot of sort of creative decisions in the beginning, and we had a we had some trouble. um settling on a band name uh we were please god uh for for a short time and even had a website with that as our name we didn't ever play a show like that but we were we like had started the band tl was tl was like i mean we were we were way but anyway uh long short of that is i think it was just there's a lot of trouble making a name and i think i think that was just universally agreed upon because nobody really gave a shit like uh, I think normally as a lyricist, you might want the, to title them, but uh, I wasn't that way. Uh, I didn't think of myself in any way. I was literally there to help out these guys. Uh, like, I guess you need a singer, you know, like uh, they didn't, but they, but, but, but here I was, I was going to do it for them. And, but yeah, later on, I probably definitely in nowadays, it's like, it dawns on me, like with Terminal Bliss, like I got to name this record. Yeah, you know, like, and and I guess like my brother has always been uh, like, like a sounding board for lyrical things, and he's actually written quite a a bunch of Page Nine Nine lyrics, and um, and we're just so similar um, artistically that like they're really if if me and I think that's a lot of the it's like he almost it's it's like two already whatever idea he has he already has two people. and we're pretty talkative and pretty convincing. And I think, <laughs> I think we just might, yeah. might have anybody who might in the band who might be listening later, you you can help me out with this, but 
you know, Mike, Mike was definitely running the show and he, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. And what about with you designing the art for it? Cause did you do, I'm assuming you did most of the art for the releases, right? I'm, there might be yeah. one or two that you didn't do. Like I didn't do the Doctor city of Caterpillar uh, split. That was Brandon. Okay. I didn't do document five, the CD uh, version, CD version. Yeah. Um, I didn't do Process is Dead split. That was Witching Hour because they do their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, I did Enemy Soil. I did Reactor 7. I did... Yeah, uh, I didn't do Document 7. Mike did that. Uh, oh, okay. But he just used my stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, they all could do what I did, you know? Yeah. The only thing I could do a little bit better is draw around the things that I clip out. But they're all collages and and manipulations and mike was just like let me play around with it let me do these swirls and it's just it's actually kind of disturbing and, and we're like that's weird looking okay cool down yeah love it um what about uh what is it gonna ask this is kind of a, a, a fun question too which is i was thinking about um once uh, maybe like document maybe like document seven era you know, there's all these labels affiliated with that genre going on. You know, it's like you're putting out records with um, Magic Bullet. You're putting out records with uh, Robotic Empire, with uh, Happy Couples Never Last. Like, clearly there is what we all come to know is like, you know, Screamo happening or whatever. At the time, did you know, did you feel like that scene was separate from everything else going on? Or did it just feel like commonplace? You know, like, could you put it put a name on what you all were doing? Nah, I mean, because it, I, it's funny. I just think uh, what we actually were or what that scene was, was just like the under tier. Because like we were out there just trying to do what everybody else, where our contemporaries were doing. And, and you know, we we're just playing our music. And, yeah. and our music found other people that played our music, basically. And that shook out. Like that took some time to shake itself out. And, you know, and that scene sort of did feed on each other almost immediately. I know Mike referenced both orchid and drum's dream while he was writing page 99 songs like like that one drum's dream part you know and but we just played with him last week and and he's you know so it was happening like in this like i felt like in majority rule kind of had a a, a a touch of influence on us and vice versa and so i think it was a it was sort of a weirdly uh what's the word like organic it was like, sort of thing happening just feeding on itself kind of and and no I, I don't think there was any sense like like yeah i mean i'm thinking of happy couples other bands uh, all the sioux falls kids and that that uh it's like love lost it? but not Eight. forgotten and like yeah, the, yeah yeah love lost i mean and and they but and it's funny how similar force fed glass and you know, and and it's uh, like I don't know if locusts locust gets thrown in there too, but I remember seeing locust, and we're just that was a tier of band that you know we're like, yeah, why not? You know, they're they're have, they're seem to be doing really good with it, and we're not too much different than them. Maybe we'd play a show with them, but you know, which never came to pass. But we we just played shows of our own. Yeah, you know, we just just like Sterling, the little microcosm pre-page i9 we turned the country into like we just did our own thing and and you know one one thing i know and i'm sure you know and over the years i tell kids that want to play music it's like 
it's on the everything you want's on the other end of a lot of hard work. Like we were in your town like a couple of months after we were just in your town. Like, right. and this is all over the country for five years. Like we worked hard. Like we were on a and we didn't do those big tours. We did like two months jaunts, like summer, winter, spring, fall, kind of. And you know, we were putting out records to meet the demand of our were want to go out and continue to go out and play. And that was just fun. It was like a big field trip, all your friends. And it was just so, and when we got majority rule on there, it was just a huge caravan. You're never alone. You're never without friends or community. And, and even just the, our caravan was enough to fill a small room. So you never really felt like you played to nobody. And it was, <laughs> was just, it was, was great. Gonna, you know? Yeah. I was going to even ask uh, with the amount of members that were in page 99, did anyone ever have a moment where you're like, boy, we really painted ourselves into a corner having to have 15 people with us at all times. It's yeah. hard to practice. Uh, we laughed at it all the time. I mean, there's so many unpractical things like the pl- the flight to Europe, like, like oh my God. Every- literally yeah. everything, like everywhere we stayed. I, I remember Kevin Lamiel from Majority Role. Just, I mean, he just has this tour face where he's just like, he's always, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's so sweet. And <laughs> He's just so patient with all of our idiot asses. And <laughs> but he was kind of tour dad. George was a little bit tour dad. But yeah, no, I mean, all the time, everything from a hotel to, to just going anywhere. Flights, hours. Yeah. Like, like going, leaving a show. Like those poor people waiting for us to come to their house that they, they made the mistake of inviting us to their house. Because not only would it take us three hours to get there, we'd be there at three 30 and we'd be up till almost sunlight, like drinking and laughing and, you know, asking where the river is, where's the haunted house, you know, God, we're so <laughs> stoked about it all. Yeah. But that, but- I mean, I think that's really, you know, I think that does more than I think that than than you really could ask for, for creating like some kind of community and no, I mean, the, the, all the, it's funny, you know, just as well as I do, it's a uh, sort of a, it's like a fan-made thing. The words Screamo and everything else, it's just something people that like the music came up with to de- to delineate themselves away from. But no, I never, never, and it's funny because we played with Earth Crisis. We played with indie rock bands. Like it was, a, it, it was pretty diverse then too. And bills were, were pretty diverse and you found yourself playing just as odd shows and, and everybody that was like on our level of working where there's about 20 people at your show, 50, if it's a good show, a hundred, if it's a really good show, like, and, but uh, there was a bunch of bands like that. Like, I mean, I saw plenty of uh, drums, dream shows that weren't filled out and like, you know, did it, yeah, did, it, did it shock you later once the band stopped playing and years go by that all of a sudden there's this this like massive love that just continued to grow, this like fandom of the bands that you were a part of that, uh, yeah, like just over time, did that shock all of you where you're like, wow, I didn't realize we had this happening because when we were playing shows, they weren't as packed out as oh, you know yeah. they were later, obviously. Yeah. I mean, my mind was blown. Like, uh, you know, I, I think I got a hint of it. The first hint, of, there was like two hints before anything really went down. And <clears throat> Mike, I, I always figured, you know, cause I got a lot of emails over the years, like, you know, 
uh, and and a lot of affirmations uh playing in my other bands like malady or, and later pygmy lush or be a lot of pan uh, uh page 99 fans that would they're they're some vocal fans too they'll yeah. come up to you and tell you about how their life fell apart and this thing fucking helped them out and i always appreciate that and i always end up talking too much to those people for both our own for better or worse uh but but yeah, it totally shocked me. The first hint I got was that meme. There's a meme um, of somebody wearing a fucking Page 99 shirt. Someone did a cartoon and it was called Scram's Revivalist. And it had all these like scene kids. It had like, you know, all the funny oh, yeah. looking. It had juggalos and, and yeah. Oh, it was just, right. I remember that. Yeah. Just this whole like scene meme of like roasting, roasting, uh, you know, bearded Jesus, indie Jesus. Uh, mario brother kit you know like the yeah the 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 you know the punk the punk rocker that has like mario tattoos and like you know neon clothes um yeah that was weird for me because it's like what the fuck is this what yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and just because i don't know why that where that made it that i saw it but people just started sending it to me a bunch and then literally right after i saw that uh uh, another page 99 fan lars that worked as a music editor at npr the oh i know him yeah. Music editor. yeah 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 he asked us to he asked if he could ask us some questions about page 99 uh coming up on our we were going to do our first reunion show uh that best friends day thing and yeah. that was going to be a one and done and no touring or you know it was just yeah. to have fun and and you you got the sense that that might have been a big deal because it was Converge, it was it was Best Friends Day. It's always a big show, and there's all these other things. And you had these affirmations uh, affirmations over the years that because uh, uh, I I kept playing music the whole time, and I had plenty of people sort of uh, indicate that it had made an impact, but I didn't have any idea how large of an impact it was until like the reunion tours where the shows sold out. Uh, and uh yeah yeah i mean just it, it that was that was unreal and yeah i think all of us really didn't expect that and why would you because it really wasn't like anything yeah. like that back then um it's funny i think I, even when you and i first uh started becoming friendly with one another i had even told you where i was like i always just assumed you were like this mysterious guy artist you know like couldn't you know hard to find a contact for like all of this and you were just like you're like no, nah, man, I just, yeah, I just didn't have a website. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I built so much lore around, around <laughs> Chris Taylor. And, and then you were like, no, nah, man, I just, yeah, uh, I don't no, know. I'm yeah. pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I wish I was as cool as people think I am or some people think I am, but no, I'm, I just obsess over UFOs all the time. I'm really like Spider-Man. I love to draw and I love my brother and my family. I'm just so boring. Like I like cool That's music, sweet, but though. I can't. I yeah. can't like, I can't like regale you with my music knowledge or, but I will talk your ear off. I was raised by, by shrinks. Basically. I, I was, I went to uh, probably 11 therapists before I was 11 and they taught my, they trained my mind to, to introspect. And so that's, that's my superpower. I, I, I actually think that helps me as a singer and artist, but, uh, really because it's like and i almost think that it's singing or you're coming up with words you're coming up with content you're trying to actually connect with some very universal part of our 
everyone's humanity. When you write down words that you have to say over and over and over again in front of people, and you know, because at first you just write down whatever. It can be really fun. We had a, a song called, Nitpick had a song called Todd. Todd is cute. Todd is good. Todd doesn't hate Chris anymore. That was Todd. That was the lyrics. That, and that's how, that's how fun, you know, and that went out the window almost immediately in page I nine, the whole goal is to like, I need to be able to sing this over and over again. If I'm yell, I, and I, th- I didn't have all this development of uh, philosophy of singing or philosophy of band uh, then, but over the years, you just, you're like, why am I doing this? What point, what's the point of putting words down? If, and me and Johnny started being re- really careful about what words we put, on our records because there is a handful there's a most of my records are massive like negative deep dives into my personal experiences and and uh that's pretty it like i once i met a may and we were playing in pygmy lush and johnny helped me with this too but they both may is a perfect example of like tethering herself to these 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 traumas and and then like uh like like it's a like it's a big hungry cat like like a tiger or a panther she's tied to it and she she takes that sucker out of his cage every night to go over this trauma with this audience and you know wonders like you know we, she we had all these long conversations about quitting music and i'm so grateful that she trusted me with those conversations but uh because she she did she put it down and you know part of it was like you can do that like you are allowed to do this like you can let this go and it's good it's good that you know that but you had to it was always going to be you realizing you didn't want it you didn't want to fucking drag this panther out anymore and i've kind of come around on that like uh because during pygmy lush me and johnny especially you can listen to old friends it's we're just trying to be hopeful we're trying to help you out it's coming from a dark spot but uh but but the words are instead of like biting you with the uh, the blunt reality of 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 the the negative affect of of a poem or a song, uh, we just want to leave some hope in there, you know. Too, but but I do think that there's this. You do have a kind of a responsibility to take that. Uh, I think uh, seriously, or at least. Uh, to the degree that you think uh it deserves like you know like attention but there is this thing i think there is a thing where with terminal bliss that it, it's actually that i'm realizing how how uh my relationship with words and my relationship with words and bands is grown because i'm letting myself say <laughs> everything i wanted to do to the shitty fucking cops uh, that I've seen on video, fuck with people of color. Uh, I can say all of that in this new band. Like, and I don't give a rat's tiny asshole if anyone has a problem with how how I'm undressing police in these songs because they can just kiss a whole plate of my ass. This is my this is therapy for me. This is my ability because I'm not going to take a gun and go out there on the street and fucking do what y'all do i'm gonna fucking say it in words but i can do things with these words that you can't even do in cartoons like it's just 
you know, like you can't even visualize what I can, you know, that that's very liberating to have, uh, and, and such a, I think it is like, I think it's a response. You have a responsibility with that. Uh, if you're trying to convey like, if you're just, if your yeah. band's, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, you're a joke band or, you know, a period band where you're just, you're doing only fifties rock and roll. Yeah, I get it. But, but even at that, I think that you do have some responsibility there, but, but it's really, it's not, I, I mean, it's kind of to you. It's kind of to the the element that I am going to have to say this over and over again. And that is something that when you repeat something over and over again, it sort of kind of be- manifests in a way or it becomes, it, it etches its way into you somehow. And so I got Johnny saying that. And, and I saw by a May, like uh, Johnny saying like, I'm just, I don't want to write this negative stuff anymore. Like lyrically. Mm. Yeah. And I'm like, okay fuck yeah yeah i'm kind of done with it too man and and i'm coming back to it now in terminal bliss but i i i'm realizing that there's times that it was very i needed it and yeah and and that's you know therapeutic i understand yeah Yeah. um completely uh long answer way off topic sorry okay you're okay uh i wanted to add before i before i hop over to art again real quick um because i know you guys did document eight with Kurt Ballou, and then you went on to do Kurt records with uh, Pygmy Lush with Kurt. I wanted to ask what that first experience was like working with Kurt for uh, document eight. It, it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. Uh, all of us were fans of Converge when we were younger. Um, and it's kind of a big deal to meet him. And, totally. um, and he was, he was doing really good stuff. I can't remember what, what had uh, turned Mike on so much, but Mike took, Mike was the one who kind of spearheaded that contacted him and arranged it. And and it was three days, I think three or four days. And uh, it was in his first studio uh, in Salem. And it was a real, it was a real kind of, you know, compared to what he's got now. And I'm sure what he has even, you know, Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it was kind of, I remember it's kind of a dingy, garagey sort of place. There was two s- stories. It was like stairs up a platform where his board was. And, uh, and then down the platform in this like pit area was the band room. And then there's a little isolated vocal booth to the side of that. And it didn't, you know, we had still yet to be in a really nice studio. So it was just sort of like, this is a, this is a very reputable punk dude that's going to record our record. We've heard, we've heard what he does. If he makes us sound like that, that's going to be insane. And, um, and he did, he just gave it this real feel, but, uh, it was awesome. I was drunk half the time that, you know, a bunch of that record was about a really hard, uh, uh, experience, like abusive relationship I was in. And, uh, so, you know, I was leaning heavily, like I said, like, you know, it's time to pull the Panther out. Like, Cause it does with that heavy music that I, I click and then, and then I wake up after the show's over and it's like, it is like, it's like a fight. It's like a violent experience. So yeah, it was, it was violent. And, but I remember being really impressed with Kurt uh, at the time, you know, I think we had mentioned several bands that, you know, like, that we liked and we liked the recording. He also asked us, he was like one of the first people to ever ask us, but he was, he was punching born against 
and and page ninety nine in and out to like compare do these yeah do yeah. The contrast compare he was doing that I think with Jesus Lizard too for the bass and like so he just took our our stuff that he, he we said we liked and and he tried to make the best I was just so impressed with that and he That's really cool. did he's like and he's very easy he's a sober dude but he's real he was just because are ridiculous I'm not so sure he entirely liked all of us but. Um, he didn't, you know, and he's a professional. Yeah. So I love that he did the Pygmy Lush records too, because I often say that some of my favorite, ex- like, like uh, listening experiences are when bands go to a producer who is doing a kind of music that they don't normally do. So like yeah. with, Pygmy, with Pygmy Lush having so much of the folk element uh, to it, I was really excited that he did those records and I thought this, and I think they sound great. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that's fun for him as well, not to put words in his mouth, but I have to imagine yeah. that's kind of fun for him because he's now working on something that he normally doesn't get to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what were those, what was recording those records with him? Like, well, just as a like quick side note, I actually do know how he feels about that. Uh, Cause, and not because he told me, well, although he did tell us quite a bit during bitter river recording, right? Bitter river. No. Mount Hope, because um, we did record Bitter River with him, but none of the quiet stuff. We only—I think we might have recorded one quiet thing, but we recorded okay. all the loud stuff with him first. But but when we start, when we did Mount Hope, uh, I mean, he even played on that record. Uh, yeah. He was just so excited about it, and and he did like uh, later. I was just watching an interview with him, uh, and the interviewer asked him, you know, can you tell me what your favorite re- record record to record was? And he mentioned Pygmy Lush. And he, it might have been a list of them, but he mentioned Pygmy Lush and that it, exactly what you said. Uh, I work with heavy music so much and I get commissioned to do that so much that uh, this is this is really uh, was exciting to like flex uh, different parts of my engineering ability and see what I got. Basically, he had played around with it a little bit, but we gave him full license uh, with that Mountain Hope record, like uh, literally did. Yeah, he played drums. He he was like, you know what? This doesn't sound right. Uh, I got an idea. And for one song, I think it's called Mount Hope um, <laughs> on that record. And uh, he just drug out this kid's play set, like uh, a drum set. It's like actual kid's drum set. And that's what uh, I think he played the drums on that song and the saxophone on it. No, hurt, hurt everything. Um, wow. uh, uh, he played the sax on that and the drums on it. yeah 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 you know and it's just trash but he was like i know this will work and we broke bottles in his studio we were doing you know we were doing things like that were really unconventional for him and it was, it was that was a blast because that i think one of your questions like when did it happen that you realize uh you're not yeah. it was almost like a when when did you realize you arrived where you where you were trying to go basically yeah. some a, a question akin to that that was one of those moments uh in that good nice studio with Kurt and hearing some of these Mount Hope playbacks it was uh yeah I, I had never heard anything I had done up to that point sound so good to me right like it right. was it was similar to that seventh grade uh, epiphany where I was finally able to just be like holy shit it's good that's yeah, good yeah. and get excited about it you know like yeah um with uh and last thing before i get hop over to, to art real quick was sure sure um when you 
because I know around the same time in those in the early 2000s, you had a few bands going on. And I wanted to ask um, what the motivation for, say, like Malady was where you're like, because Page 99, I think, was a band still at that time, right? Pretty sure. No. Oh, no. Broke, okay, you had stopped. Okay. So the chronology was during the end of Page 99. I think, I think what started happening in Page 99 is, uh, I mean, we got Brandon later. And he was already doing City of Caterpillar, or it might have been Monotonous Fuck at that time. But he was already doing City of Caterpillar pretty much as soon as he joined Page I9. And, and then other members, you know, like started get, uh, splitting time in other bands. Like, and so me and Mike started Mannequin to do, just kind right. of get our grunge back. We were trying to recreate Nitpick after uh, five years of Page I9. We were trying to get back to this like really simple. But like grunt, like can we do grunge? Like nobody that nobody's doing grunge. Like, uh, and we really actually made a cons, you know, a very, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a very deliberate effort to try to to rip off our favorite grunge songs. Uh, of course, never coming close once, but <laughs> and coming up with a totally weird other kind of like almost punk almost grunge almost whatever the hell this is and right 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 close but no cigar but it's still weird and unique and but also we were we were also we were just sort of i don't want to say untalented we were just sort of like we were um we were a lot like page i we were just best friends we camped a lot that band toured a bunch like a shitload of times no one actually gave a shit about mannequin that was that was sort of the thing it didn't matter because we had page I nine as our main band. And at that time, you know, uh, page I nine was at the very end, you know, it, we, we were doing fine. You know, we totally. weren't like selling out a show or anything, but we, we'd people, have people, were coming. people there. Yeah, yeah. People were coming. People, people heard the word, you know, but, uh, yeah. So, so then with, with malady, so the, so page 99 breaks up, you start, you start doing that band. And again, it's like still with people you've been playing music with, uh, yeah. Um, what, yeah. So what were you, when that band started, what was, what were you trying to recreate or like, what was the motivation? Cause that's one of my you know favorite records that you were a part of. Uh, I can tell you like all of the like, uh, cheat codes to find out like exactly what that album is made of. It is, um, uh, I, I actually can't explain to you where Jeff comes up with this stuff, but, uh, but I, uh, so it, this, uh, the world is a tomb off that record was written entirely when, and Jeff's gave me a tape of it to ask me to, to sing on it. And I was like, this is done. And it's a fucking new city of Caterpillar. Yeah. I was like, but it's rock. It's way more rocking. And, uh, just love, I, I've felt it was weirdly orchestral. It sounded like a composer just fucking down 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 yeah 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 very melodic and uh so i don't actually know where his side of that comes from like i know that uh that they collectively listened to a ton of blonde redhead that was like but here's the catch on high speed because kevin's tape player was broke and it only played high speed and we started really liking a lot of different music on high speed because you could hear you could break out all the you could pick out the bass melodies number one they just stand right out and all these other melodies you could so we started wanting to hear our own stuff on high speed anyway long short was a lot of blonde redhead listen listening at that time and a lot of fucking rancid so 
I don't know how if Rancid made its way into Jeff's lexicon, so I don't know if you can hear that in any of the music except for the bass. But I mean, Kevin, that's one of at that point, like, and Kevin was strongly encouraging, like, a for me and um, me and Kevin worked a lot together on on the vocals for that record. Like, cause I, I actually, I was trying, um, uh, and I told this to Kevin too, as we were like coming up with these lyrics and cause he helped me write said Simone lyrically. And I had some blank spots and other parts that he helped me write lyrically just, and I think they're filler kind of stuff. He was just trying to get through it just like I was, but the bulk of that, um, uh, that stuff he was encouraged. I wanted, a. Uh, not, I don't want to say hip hop, but I wanted staccato vocals. I wanted quite a bit of syllables and vowels. And, uh, you know, I wanted it, uh, to sound like, um, and, and Kevin wholeheartedly agrees with this and encouraged, uh, I wanted to sound like, uh, Lynn Armstrong spilling over, uh, a, uh, op by view or rancid song where the, he's just talking, he's just talking yeah. over it, but it's, it's like a yell and it, and, there's still like has these um syncopated uh bombastic uh syllabic uh uh matchups like where the syllables it, it's still talking but the syllables will catch you here and catch there and or they'll like triplet here and so i was really aware of that and really trying my best to do my best lent armstrong so like bad uh, bad life uh all the lucky ones get ruined uh uh is lent like that's like uh kevin's like do it again it's not lent go more lent so it's just real yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but he he loved it it's like the dirtiest i got on that he was like perfect that's what i want but that's awesome. uh, but also i listened to you know at this point i'm like my biggest i love lou barlow i love pinback I want to sing pretty. I always wanted to be able to, to uh, hit the notes like they do. And I sing along and like, you know, uh, Pygmy Lush wasn't a thing. I think at the end of page 99, uh, you know, there was, it's way buried under there on uh, the majority rule split, but there's, there's some singing in there. And, um, and then mannequin had uh, quite a bit of sing. So I was like, playing guitar and singing at the time and really flexing, like getting it back and, and pushing, like trying to, yeah. So I, so, and so it, it'd be, it's, it's Kurt Cobain and Lent Armstrong on that melody record on the vocals. It's, it's uh, Lars on bass, blonde redhead on guitar. That's all I can say about it. But I think what you do is like, you, you just put all these influences and these weird things and they just run it through their filter. I mean, every Jeff Kane once said about himself, I'm a one trick pony and uh, about his, his songwriting and everybody responded, but your one trick is awesome. You're right. you have a great trick. Um, but I think that's great. And, and yeah, so that's coming through Jeff and I've heard some of the new city of Caterpillar and I mean, the guy can't write another way, so it's going to sound like what it yeah. does, you know? I love and, that. Uh, and just like Mike, like, it, like he can, he can write, Jeff can write many ways, but when he writes from his heart, when it comes out of Jeff, when he's writing a song, that's his band or, or something. Uh, it sounds like that. It sounds like this weird melodic, like orchestral. It, it's very, I, I don't, 
they have some music major uh uh type ability they none of them have gone and done any studied theory or anything but they have especially kev kevin uh and jeff i mean jonathan's an amazing player in and of himself but uh kevin jeff have some arranging ability that i mean it I am certain, actually, because a few of my friends that did take music theory are there. What? How? What? Like, so like why here and there and 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 that's like both creative, but not allowed. And but it, so they they're just. Yeah, I, I'm really trying to pin down how. uh and why they're so good, but I can't either, you know, like, but, but I I'm a big fan of their like I almost felt like I was joining a, uh, like I was a. Uh, henry rollins joining black flag because i mean and i played with Ket, like i played with all these guys but it was a super group to me it was like a like a bunch of really creative good members of all these other bands and totally. i was excited to see what it was going to be and and really excited that they would want to include me in it but yeah i love that um so the last thing i want to ask you about art was uh what was the first record that you designed that you weren't a part of because i know you've obviously done records for pig destroyer you did planes you mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. uh darkest hour um what was the yeah what was the first one that you did that wasn't yours uh, i think it was the murderer rosa luxembourg uh it was it was a seven inch from a band from uk uh which i don't even know i think email was a thing then so i must have gotten an email how was that I'm, how was I must that have sent them the physical p- copy too, but because uh, okay. I didn't have any digital ability back then at all, and no scanner, no way to send let, uh, scan things in, or I just didn't know anything about that stuff. I didn't even know it was possible. So I think I sent the physical, my physical original wow. to them. To what use. uh, what is that process like for you when you are hired to do a record for somebody else? Like, do you? go back and forth with ideas do they give you some sort of do you enjoy having some sort of direction or is it project by project um some i would say nowadays kind of project by project but and still not really and i always think of this as, as your um your moment when you when when people don't even uh give you input they just say do your thing yeah um that's a that's a huge that's a you just you, you could die happy with just that. I mean, I, I, I hardly ever get uh, asked to collaborate or, uh, or like, you know, I get input and I'll ask for a little bit of input. I want lyrics. I want um, like other art that you have that you like, you know, and colors. Like, do you have a specific color mood, you know, that you're thinking and I'll, that's something that I, I almost need that from them because if they have, if, if, if they have that, it kind of almost informs my next vision or whatever. Uh, but if they don't, I'm going to yield towards black and neon or, uh, you know, black and white with some red and blue. Like I just, I have my things I like, but, um, but yeah, no, I think most, most of the time somebody will contact, they'll, you know ask them if I'm available and then yeah they'll they'll ask kind of how does this work and I'm yeah I'll just say you know give me some lyrics and and I'll read through them and then it's it's really getting the gestalt of the band you know instead of uh I don't pull images from the lyrics and put them into the cover because almost all my covers are portraits and but 
I'm taking that. I'm like absorbing. I do like the music too, if I can have the music to listen to. And, uh, and then that mood that you give me, if you can give me that first mood or tell me something that I did that you like, or were you thinking something like this? Like that actually happens a lot too, where it's like, I love the Pig Destroyer Terrifier cover, something like that. And I'll just do my best to get them an original image that looks in that vein, you know? Do you have a, a cover that you've done that is your favorite? Yeah, I think that Portrayal Guilt, Let Pain Be Your Guide is my favorite cover. Awesome. And when you, I put, I put over a thousand hours of work into these tiny bubbles in the background, this little texture is this like dimensional static, uh, hours, hours and hours. I needed it because my dad passed. Um, and it all, I just, I, the way I did it was I put the image, the illustration I did on a light box and then I put a xerox copy of that illustration underneath that image so it's backlit from the background and then i took my dad's headlamp which had it just had this crazy blue led light and you know so i'm holding my camera and the headlamp is right on her face spotlighting her face but the i turn the iso and the shutter speed all down so everything is just so dark in my room the lights are off and you just see this face coming through the Xerox, coming through the light box, coming through the illustration. And then the flash and the, or the, because I didn't have the flash, but the headlamp like brought out the illustration, but just in the center there. So I don't know. It's, per it's perfect in a way because it's like, uh, it showed like I put so much work into it, but I sacrificed all the work for the, for the gestalt of the the album it had it's a it's a dark band let pay it can't be this white cover it's got to be dark and so i had to cover it up and like and the photo like everything's kind of experimentation until something hollers at you it's done that that's fucking cool like that's kind of the same thing with music like i'll be playing a thing and some words will come out and you're like holy shit there record that and hit record on your voice memo but the same thing with covers you're just like with that, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Like, I'm just, I kept going and it's like, I don't know when it's going to start getting creepy or if it's going to be creepy or if it's going to be beautiful or when I'm going to do more manipulative stuff, like photo manipulative stuff. But I think I'll take a picture of it. Like I did book burner. I, I took a, I did book burner like that where I backlit it and took a picture and I loved it like almost immediately. And I tweaked it a little bit, but I didn't, I hardly did. Once I got it, it was, it was there. And I didn't yeah. know I was going to be done that day, but like, I didn't care that the illustration was now gone because the image had this thing I was looking for. And uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, when you see it, I, it, I feel like it, my rules are, I want to see it across the room. I want it to stand out amongst other records, like uh, as a, as a visual medium, like I think, um, I always do portraits because I relate to the human face and like there's a lot of emotion on the human face there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this record uh, it's very you know it just starts at a relatable point you know like almost immediately and uh, and then it goes from there where, wherever the face goes from there but that's that's kind of my you know that's um, that's my basic premise I really have turned down a bunch of records that it, you want a body you want a full body or something it, if I don't, if they have a specific idea, I just won't get involved. Cause I, you know, I kind of want 
at some point, I don't know how many I've done now. I want to put them up all on the wall and see them all, see them all together and see what they look like, all these portraits up there. But, and I like that too. Like, you know, you can tell a petty bone, uh, record cover and I, you could tell a puss head thing and totally maybe, maybe not so much anymore. Cause there's a lot of puss head imitators, but I will say this, like, uh, I think that, I think that's a good rule to have. If you just, you just want, you want something that is recognizable stylistically and you want to read it from across the room because it's a big record. Like it's not totally. a little tiny tape. It's a big, beautiful 12 inch canvas. And it'd be a waste just to put tiny little letters and some, uh, some, uh, some medical drawings on it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> everyone did look, whatever, whatever, what? whenever everyone did in the two thousands. <laughs> well, you definitely have, uh, a style that, you know, as soon as you see it, you know, it's you, which I think is really cool. And uh, I've always really appreciated. Um, a huge well, compliment. Let me hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time, I know you've already answered a couple of these, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that you felt like you were doing the thing that you've been working so hard towards. Do you remember the first time? Yeah, I think it was probably, <laughs> it was our first tour down to Florida. And we were, we had a couple of shows booked, but we couldn't get a bunch, uh, but we were just following enemy soils tour and they got us on as many of, of their shows as they could. And it was to, it was to cap off. So got you. It was to cap off, uh, at that locust show. Uh, uh and then we we're just literally going to drive back up from Florida. Then the van broke down, but on that trip, like it was the first six of us, we weren't eight yet. And it just, a field trip it was the first it was the first time that i think all of us realized how uh free it was or like we're not like we were so close out of high school at that point too like that was kind of a big deal just be out and like free like no one's like over your shoulder telling you what to do about this and it was just it was just really exciting i think we were like we couldn't believe we were going out of town to play shows is that big of a deal to us, you know? And yeah, I think that was probably the first, very first time is that trip. I I love that as an answer for two reasons. One, because it's a great answer. And two, because uh, I would have been kicking myself because I would have forgotten to ask you what the first tour was. So I appreciate you tying that up into a (laughs) nice little bow there, Chris. Yes. I I aim to please. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, dude, thank you so much. I, I appreciate this conversation. It was so nice to catch up with you and, and to see you. So uh, yeah, yeah, man, you, I can't you, wait to see you when you come through. You're coming through in September? Uh, or is that... Yeah, I th- we'll be out there sometime in the fall. Okay. Yeah, sometime yeah. in the fall. Yeah. All right, bud. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank love you, man. You. Thank, this is great. This is great. Uh, I love talking to you. Talk to you soon. Can't wait to hear this. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, awesome. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Chris for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now. Go over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon where Chris answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. All right. I will see you next week for episode 100 on Wednesday and a radio hour that will accompany, accompany it on Monday. We'll see what that's about. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.